Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast. I am your host, Michael Clark, while Wayne Rogers is laughing his head off at me. It's all right, we can laugh. This isn't like our program where we try to keep a straight face. Uh, <laughs> this thing's happened, man. I was trying to start the timer, <laughs> and I hit the enter button and forgot. You're supposed to hit the space bar. And so there was this long pause, and Wayne was looking at me, and I was looking like, what have I done wrong? And so uh, there you go. Hope you Hope you feel more accomplished for knowing that in life. Uh, we have just two episodes left on this season with Wayne and Scott, and I think what I'm going to do is something I've done in the past with Wayne on our actual television program, but I like doing this from time to time. I want to know, uh, favorite Bible verse currently, what you would say, maybe, maybe it's a book you're studying. I uh, would like to know from both of you. I'll tell you for me, uh, I, I've often said, and I know I've said this to Wayne uh, when we've recorded together, my favorite book is the one I'm currently studying, and I think think probably the three of us would say, well, I'm currently studying that. Amen. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Uh, I just finished a three-week study on the book of Jude here at Forest Hill. I was blessed to fill in for Brother Waycaster and gained a newfound appreciation for Jude 22 and 23, you know, that mindset of saving some with compassion and others you save with such as you know urgency of them being in the fire and when you read the rest of that because usually you just hear Jude 1 22 and 23 says you save some with compassion and others you pull them out of the fire but then you read everything else that's been said how we warned you about these people who have come in this was prophesied about it was foretold and you didn't listen basically and now you have to contend for the faith and you contend for the faith by saving souls here's how you do that the, the culmination of verse 3 to verses 22 and 23 just means so much to me more than it ever has before. And so that's my favorite verse currently. Uh, but I started with with Wayne last time. So, Scotty, take it away, man. You know, that one's a tough one. I know, right? Uh, that's that, stuff, that's like asking uh, my favorite child. Right. Uh, well, I mean, it's higher. Uh, because I can't answer it out loud because the other two will figure it out. Uh, but didn't no, and I'll see. I said it was Hunter. Breezed <laughs> <laughs> right past it. Oh, you didn't realize how good I was ignoring you all the time. <laughs> no, but um, a verse that's been my favorite for quite some time, or a passage actually, would be Isaiah 55, uh, 10 and 11. Uh, emphasizing the fact that just like rain comes down with a purpose, so does God's word. But. I would say in the last few years, one that is on par with that, if not coming close to surpassing it, would be Exodus 35, uh, 34 rather, verses 5 and through 7. That's going to be because Moses has pleaded with God, show me your glory, show me your way so that I can know you. He, he has already spent time on a mountain with God. He already knows what God has promised. He already has God's law. God has given the Ten Commandments already and all of the uh, Decalogue. But at this point, he's still saying, I want to know you. And, and essentially, it's God's personality. And when I look at the description given of God's personality, Exodus 34, 5 through 7, the Lord, the Lord God, mm-hmm. merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abundant goodness and truth. And I think about that in comparison to how I've so often been inclined. Well, Scott, describe God. And what I've started with those terms. Mm-hmm. Now, that entire description is going to include his justice. He'll be it, by no means clear the guilty. But do I see God the way he sees himself? Mm-hmm. And I think about the way that passage is referenced so often from that point forward in Scripture. 
and it it helps me to remember who my God is. So yeah. Um, yeah, that's pretty big on my list. Yeah, Wayne, what's your favorite TV show of all time? Uh, no, <laughs> what's never, your favorite verse, man? Ready Come for on, you, man. that's right. <laughs> Nothing <laughs> like friends, huh? Hey, man. <laughs> I'm gonna give you Psalm 37. Okay, um, it's probably one that I have that I go back to regularly, and almost out of needing to be reminded. Fret not because of evildoers. Is how it starts. Verse one nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. They'll soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Mm-hmm. Trust in the Lord, do good. Uh, and, and so what I, like to, what I like to point out in this passage is especially, so do not fret because of evildoers. So verse 1, so what are you supposed to do then instead? Verse mm-hmm. 3, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Five, verse 5, commit your way to the Lord and ultimately, verse 7, rest in the Lord. And it's just a, a reminder. And the whole psalm is, is really kind of laid out that way. And the points are kind of made over and over right. uh, in different ways throughout it. Uh, but the idea, you know, there's so much evil in the world, so many things going around, and so much negativity, as we've talked about in other, um, you know, in other lessons. Uh, but this idea of, okay, we've got to trust in the Lord. We've got to commit our ways to Him. And ultimately, there will be rest. Well, I mean, you you did a good job giving us a sermon. I asked uh, for a verse. Yeah, no. <laughs> that's good stuff, psalm. though. That's a, a psalm. Okay. Psalm. You when you have to go look at verse one, then now verse two, now verse three. <laughs> and, you know, it was great stuff, though. Seriously, I I appreciate that. That honestly, there's always, I mean, the only question that a preacher could not be able to answer is, "What's your least favorite Bible verse?" You know, because obviously <laughs> you have some that you may not be as passionate about as others. But every time you ask a preacher, "What's your favorite verse?" I've asked Wayne that probably now five or six different times different. because I know we're always going to have a different one. And I'm pretty sure the first time I ever asked you that, we were both in Ephesians. I was in Galatians. You were in Ephesians at the time. And so we said Ephesians and Galatians, and the next time we talked about it, I was like, well, First John, you know, and it, now I'm in Jude. So same with you now, Psalm 37. So it always changes. Um, but I think that what Scott mentioned is so true. We, we kind of have those passages that comfort us. And that we think about all the time. I know when I first got diagnosed as sick, you know, with Crohn's disease, I went and I wrote a sermon on, do you know suffering? And I went through what Paul said he went through, what Job said he went through, what Jesus went through. And I found myself reading that sermon over and over again to remind myself, it's going to be okay. I'll be all right. And those those passages are what I would call evergreen. You know, they, they're always in style for me. And they may not be what I'm currently preaching or teaching in a class, but they are always available for me to go to for comfort. So um, I sympathize completely with the idea of for years it's been this, but I've found myself going to this now. Um, that's what that's one of the most beneficial things about the Bible is it's such a large book. There's so much wisdom. We could honestly, and I think we did an episode once on our our program, Wayne, of favorite Proverbs, you know, kind of deal. Yeah. And I think that was that was a long one, but you know, just there's all these different things you can talk about. Um, so many blessings because of what we have, and we have hope through the Bible. But today we're talking about the opposite of that. Uh, there are so many people. Season four, episode five, a hopeless life. There are so many people today that have no hope. Um, my dad years ago was at the local member's home. They had lost their loved one. Funeral home director came, and he said, uh, I'm actually short-staffed tonight. Do you mind helping me collect uh, the, the body? 
Dad said, that'd be an honor. And so he went and helped him. And as they were slowly wheeling that gurney out to the funeral home hearse, uh, he asked him, these Bible-believing people? And my dad says, matter of fact, yes. How can you tell? And he said, you can always tell who has hope. And that man, if he's not qualified to tell me that he's seen both the people who have no hope versus having hope, tells me right there he's seen a lot of people who didn't have any hope of where their loved one ended up, of what was happening, and it just tugs at your heartstrings to think about that happening. We mentioned when we talked about our episode on death, something that happens every day. Every day there's a family whose world is shattered. Uh, I, I remember when my grandmother died, we were in preaching school at the time, and I came home for lunch. Megan and I were watching a TV show, and I got the phone call. And to this day, I've never finished that TV show. I just can't. I can't bring myself to do it um, because there's just so much pain involved with it that I just don't want to watch it. And that day, I didn't wake up thinking that would be the case. But I don't have a hopeless life because of it. And there's the blessing. And we're talking about this because the first question that often kind of brings up is, I hear people, the skeptics of our world say, you're not doing anything. You're not accomplishing anything. So what? You're a good person. It's not going to do anything for you. And that's our first question is, is the Christian life a hopeless one? You have a passage like Hebrews 9, and we've talked about this in another lesson, but Hebrews nine twenty seven, it's appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. And if you were to stop there, and I've done this a couple of times, but if you were to stop there, yeah. that seems rather hopeless. But if you read the rest of the chapter, verse 28 so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and to those who eagerly wait for him, he shall appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Again, there's, a, there's, there's more to the story. There, there's more in the Christian life affords that person that hope. And we have Colossians 1, verse 27, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and Paul would talk, he would write to Timothy and open up that letter talking about hope that is in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, the Christian life is one that, that, that affords hope for the individual. Something, there's something to look forward to. And, and hope we, we could define as a confident expectation of something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, the things that are most assuredly hoped for. Uh, you know, and so you have that passage in Hebrews 11, that faith is directly tied to that hope. And, and so uh, you have the, the idea of, of hope itself is one that our world understands. Right. Because if you, if you, you know, if people go around all the time and you say, okay, man, what a, what a hopeless case. You hear a situation and you go, man, what a, what a hopeless case. Well, there is a way that that individual, regardless of how bad it is and what's going on, could have hope. Mm-hmm. And, and that's through Christ. But that's the only way. Right. So. Paul, in writing to the Corinthians, was dealing with, really a lack of hope among Christians. Mm-hmm. First Corinthians 15, talking about the resurrection, he made the point that if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we're of all men most miserable. Hope that stops at this life is not worth anything. Now, you can take that thought and apply it to what Wayne was mentioning and what you had mentioned in terms of the ungodly saying, well, what good does all this life do? Well, 
if I'm only focused on the hope that's in this life, I'm missing it all anyway. Mm-hmm. And of course, the the skeptics have missed it, deliberately so. But not only stopping there, if in this life only we have hope in Christ Jesus, we're of all men most miserable. Not only the skeptics, think about Christians who only put their focus on uh, the physical benefits of serving God. Christians who serve God with an Israelite mindset, just looking for some kind of physical inheritance, physical blessings, uh, the physical rain from heaven, so to speak, without having an eye on what the real hope is. And when Paul wrote to Titus, he made it clear what the real hope is. Titus 1, 2, in hope of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before the world began. Our hope is contingent upon God's promise and our submission to it. God promised eternal life before the world ever started. We base that on his oath. We base that on his covenant. We base that on the fact that God is faithful. Mm -hmm. So... What does it look like to have a hopeless life? Well, it's not the real Christian life. The Christian life is filled with hope, but we need to make sure we know what that hope is. I've told people before, here lately especially, our, our world seems pretty hopeless uh, at times, the way that it's behaving, especially our country. We, we can't help but think about that. I told people often, why don't you go read the book of Esther? Because I've I've started to tell people the book of Esther to me is one of the best modern-day books, modern-day living books that you could read from the Old Testament because there is no mention of God saying, I will, I will save everybody. I will do this. There was faith. There was hope and trust that it was going to be okay. And that's what I have to do every day. I have no, thus says the Lord, Michael, your life will be okay. I Who can't can tell of God. Has. Exactly. And I read that, though, and realize if God had promised that through this seed all nations will be blessed, Here they are in Esther. The Jews are going to be annihilated? No, they're not. It's not really able to fulfill that day those years ago. And so they had hope, even when it looked hopeless. Then I start to realize, hey, my life looks hopeless because of what's happening in our world. Our country is fighting and tearing itself apart at the seam, but I have hope. And the Christian life makes that worthwhile. You talk to anybody else that's outside of our life of Christianity, no wonder they're miserable. All they're feeding upon are the things that are horrendous, and they have nothing to cling to that is good, and their whole benefit of life is found upon this life. And yet this life chews us up and spits us out and then says, I'd like some leftovers, and comes back for seconds. And then they wonder why they seem to be so hopeless. And yet Christians can go to the graveside and lower their loved one into that ground and say, this hurts, but not as bad as it would if I didn't have hope. And that, that's just a massive, massive help. But there's a symptom, no hope. What's the cause of that symptom? Why does our world not have hope? You would think with the world being created by God, man himself being created in the image of God, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that by the very nature we should be hopeful people. So why does our world not really seem to be one full of hope? They need Jesus. There you go. <laughs> and <laughs> right. we and we we say that jokingly sometimes. Yeah. You know that person needs Jesus. You know and and jokingly yet lovingly. And but the truth of the matter is, there's a reality in that. They do need Jesus. They need the the gospel that is preached. They need to to hear that message. 
And ultimately, that's how they are going to uh, become aware of the hope that mm-hmm. is in Christ. But if we if we fail in our attempt to preach Jesus, if yeah. we fail in in any way to promote the gospel in our lives, then at that very same idea, then then we are causing those we're uh, uh, we're helping them in that problem. We're not helping them get through the problem. We're mm-hmm. just perpetuating the problem is what I mean. And so they need Jesus, and the Great Commission speaks to that. We're supposed to go and preach the gospel to the world and, and tell them that message. There is hope in Christ. Part of that is going to be their contentment. Mm-hmm. Hope looks forward. Contentment looks at right now. Yes, they need Jesus because they're happy with where they are in the world around them. Whenever we go out and evangelize, maybe we go knocking doors. What community is most likely to be more receptive? The the rough-looking, sketchy community or the well-trimmed, well-manicured, larger lot, beautiful house community? Right. More often than not, we get the best reception from those that are on the lower side of the uh, the income brackets because they are not content in this life. They they have a feeling that something is missing. They, they recognize a poverty physically that can help them identify poverty spiritually. Contentment is going to be a huge reason why. It's amazing that people can be content, uh, discontented in everything else in life, but they feel that they are content. They are good to go in their relationship with God. Of course, that leads to the fact that they need Jesus and do not have him. But I believe that attitude of contentment is going to be a major uh, factor. That's right. You know, you can have everything and be missing one little thing and it ruin everything. Uh, You know, you again, Scott, in your class talked about losing your car keys. You can have the car. (laughs) You can have everything that you need. To have the car running, you can have a full tank of gas, you can have great tires on, all that other stuff. You're missing your key. It's a hopeless situation for you. You're not going anywhere. Or if it's locked inside the vehicle. It's locked inside right. the vehicle. I, you know, I, I, I tell you all things off the air and then they get brought up. That's 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 fair. Um, that's, but that's that's the whole point. What What seems to be supposed to be helpful can be hopeless real quick if you don't have everything put together. This life was given to us. Not simply with the mentality of being robotic servants for God. Amen. There is enjoyment. There are times of pleasure that we can enjoy. Some things God instituted the marital bond so that we could enjoy the benefit of having a mate and somebody that we can be married to and share this life together with and bring children into the world and all of the blessings that come with that. None of that has to do with being a Christian in and of itself. But boy, your marriage is so much better if you're both Christians. Boy, your family's so much better if it's you know, raised in looking toward that hope of eternity in heaven. And when you have all of those things, but you're missing the hope, your life just won't be as good. It's not going to be the best quality that it is. And I'm a little bit reminded of somebody. It's a, it's kind of one of those, you know, classic Michael illustrations that you're going to say, why is that important? But it's, it, it should work. If it doesn't, we'll just edit it out. Um, <laughs> I watched with my grandmother the the television show my 600 pound life you ever seen previews for that or anything like that that they're usually designed to try to get somebody stop giving me that look somebody's trying to lose weight but there's usually two ways the show goes either you're really trying or you're not right 
one episode in particular, the lady just wasn't going to try. And I hate to say that it was comical because it was it was sad, but it, it was obviously edited and put together in a comical way. But it shows her walking into the gym 7 a.m. And she goes and she gets on the elliptical and she picks up some weights. And I kid you not, 7.05, she says, well, I've been good. I'm going to McDonald's. And she undid everything that she had done for just even five minutes. And the doctor got her back in, and she said, well, I've been doing the diet. And he said, no, you haven't. You've gained weight. I think sometimes we look at life, and we realize God's given us a plan, and we do parts of the plan. But we don't do the plan to its full extent. She did go to the gym. That's what she was told to do. She did eat certain things a little less than she was. She did order a salad when she went to McDonald's one of the times that they showed her doing that. You can't just pick and choose pieces of the plan and then expect God on the day of judgment to say, good deal. You picked of the things that I told you to do, a handful of them and did those very well in your mind. Therefore, you're good. If we don't do it the way God tells us to do it, we will have a hopeless situation. That poor lady was not given the right to have that surgery that she so desperately needed. The doctor said, I'm not doing it. You're not committed. And she lost out on the one thing that she said at the very beginning of that show, I'm so hopeful for this. Were you? If you're not that dedicated, there's an importance there of knowing that we have hope, but we have to do something to be able to obtain what we're hoping for and what we're looking toward in the end of this life. We can't just let God do everything for me. God has done everything he needs to do. Now it's up to me. And not only lay hold on that hope, but continue to hold fast to it, which is what the Hebrews writer said, Hebrews chapter uh, chapter 10. That's right. And so that's this is the final question, and it's kind of an interesting one when you really think about it, but Jesus gives us hope, and none of us in this room have met him. We've never had a conversation with him. We've never taken him to lunch. We've never done anything. How's that possible? Somebody might say, how can you let somebody that you've never met, that you don't know, give you hope? How can you put your hope in that individual? My hope is built on proof, and he's left all the proof that's needed to know that I can trust his word. It's Mm -hmm. perfect consistency, scientific foreknowledge, fulfilled prophecy, uh, historical accuracy. I can trust the Bible based on an an objective investigation of its validity. And upon that, I can trust the life of Christ and what the Bible says about Christ. I can trust that he rose from the grave. He left 500 witnesses at just one occasion. He left all the proof that we need. In fact, that that fact about the proof is something that we don't preach enough. Mm-hmm. We do not emphasize it enough. We might speak of it whenever we're talking about Christian evidences, but how often are we talking about the fact that we have proof that we can trust Christ when we're talking about what the gospel is mm-hmm. and and why we obey it when we're teaching our children? No, these are the facts. We have proof. We have right. evidence. Uh, we're po- it's possible for us to have hope because... He left that proof, just like it's possible for us to know what kind of nation in which we live and on what it was founded because we have all of the evidence of that, the same with our relationship with Christ. Right. I like how uh, John the Apostle writes, in the beginning was the Word. This is how he introduces Christ in the, in the book of, in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. 
Without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. That light that starts giving us a glimmer of hope. It's a picture of hope that he's painting here. And the light shines in darkness. The darkness you know, could not prevent it, did not comprehend it. Uh, but then you drop down a few verses. Verse 14 says, The word, that same one, it was in the beginning, he dwelt among us. We beheld his glory. The glory is the, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And then verse 18 says, No man has seen God at any time, but he has shown us who God is. He has, Christ has, the Word, the same one. And then John the Baptizer, who's John, John the Apostle's writing about then, tells us how he introduces him. He sees him the next day and says he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Mm-hmm. Here's a man who has a large following of people himself. And yet his promotion of Jesus, his introduction of Jesus, here is the Lamb of God. This is who you need to know. This is who you need to follow from this point forward. And he backs off the scene, basically, at that point in time. And so the Apostle John, writing by inspiration, introduces us to Christ, the one who was made flesh, dwelt among us, the very begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He's the one that gave his life, John 3, 16, the golden text, so that we could have eternal life. And the rest of the book, the rest of the gospel record there of John shows that very point. Doing what? Giving us hope that is in Christ. All of what we talk about when it comes to hope is more deep than saying, I hope my team wins it all this year. Uh, Hope, in a lot of ways, has been uh, thieved away from what it was intended to be, kind of like the word love. Oh, I love pizza. Or it, that's awesome. You know, we, we've used words now. We've kind of cheapened Euphemized them a little bit. Them. Yes. <laughs> and we've cheapened the meaning to the point where you hear the word hope and, and you just kind of associate it with something you'd like to happen. But the Bible tells us I can put my hope and know that it will happen when it comes to this salvation that has been granted to me, when it comes to that eternal home. I don't have to wonder if maybe, just maybe, Jesus will fulfill that promise. I can take it to the bank, and I can cash it. And Jesus could honestly say, if you're really you know, that concerned about it, I'll just give it to you in cash. You don't even have to worry about cashing a check. Here's the cash money. That's how sure he is that this is going to happen. It's how sure I can be that it's going to happen too. I don't have to close my eyes and and kind of cross my fingers and hold on to the hope of maybe it'll work. It'll it'll happen. And that is so much better than having a hopeless life. The far better idea of this podcast from Philippians 1.23 continues to try to show what Paul felt that day when he wrote down those words, to be with the Lord is far better. Nevertheless, right now, It's more mindful and needful for me to be with you. But let me tell you how you can have joy, hope, and joy all in one. That's the whole purpose of Philippians. And if I don't have that, and I say I'm a child of God, I think I've got it backwards. I think I might need to do some searching there and some studying and trying to revitalize my mindset when it comes to this life of hope. And if I have a hopeless life because I don't have God, it's time to fix that. It's time to find a way to make that work. We have one episode left, sad, hard to believe, with Scott and Wayne. I've really enjoyed having them on the program. We look forward to that episode where we're going to finish up our time together with far better 
than focusing on myself. And so I know that'll be a good study. Uh, These two individuals have a very good, clear understanding about their role in the kingdom and how we're all supposed to make it not about us, but about Christ. And so we'll dive into that more this time next week. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity is far better. What's up, guys? It's Caleb and Michael over here from the Scattered Abroad Network, and we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening to this episode. Yeah, we're so thankful to the East Hill Church of Christ for overseeing this network, and we're grateful to God for this opportunity. And don't forget, you can check out our show notes below for all of our social media links, email address, website, and we have a monthly newsletter, so don't forget to sign up for that. Please remember to leave us a rating or a review on whatever platform it is that you use, And please continue to keep our network in your prayers. As always, thank you again so much for listening. Be ready tomorrow. We have brand new content coming out here on the SAN. Thanks so much, and God bless.